So this morning I'm going to read James 3, 13 through 18. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Thank you, Miss Becca, for investing in our kids. And uh, hopefully some of you were egged before the, uh, the homes. We were all made to stay home, the stay home order. And uh, you were egged previously. I think she hit like 17 or 18 houses with eggs, Easter eggs, um, not real eggs, because that would be bad. And Miss Becca would not do that. So, or maybe she would. I don't know. Darren, you know, maybe she would. But um, I know with my own kids, uh, there are times when they would come home from school, when they were in a physical school, not at home all the time, always there. Um, but when they were in a physical school, I digress. Um, when they were in a physical school, my daughter would come home and always bring up, Daddy, can I take this to show and tell? And it was to take something special to her and give a little story behind it. But when I was growing up, show and tell wasn't about just telling something, somebody about what you had. Show and tell always was, a, there was a reason behind it. And it, the reasoning was at lunch during the week, I would sit down with my friends and I would say, hey, I got the new Soundwave transformer. It's amazing. And my, kid, my, my friends would be like, no, you don't. You don't have that. And I'd be like, yes, I do. And they'd be like, no, you don't. You don't have, prove it. And I was like, I will show you at show and tell. Like show and tell wasn't about cutesy things. Show and tell was about street cred, where I'm from, son. And I don't know about where you were from, but show and tell was about proving and backing up your words. I surely had Soundwave, the transformer. Now, why do I tell you this story? Because James, the letter that we have been in for the last six weeks, five, six weeks, really is the story of the book of show and tell. And I really believe that it is because of the number of elements James begins to reveal. And I've got a slide here for you if you, if you haven't been following along. But you have these, these questions of, do you think you're religious? And by religious, James doesn't mean you just go to church and go through the motions. It says, do you say you worship God? Well, then prove it by your words. If your words aren't in line with that, then there's something off. So prove to me that you really do worship God by your words. Do you say you have faith? Well, prove it by your actions. Don't just tell me you have faith. Show me what exists internally, externally. And this week, it's no different. We're looking at wisdom. James is going to begin with, if any of you thinks you're wise, some of your translations may say, you do, does anyone think they're wise? Then prove it by your conduct. None of these things... Um, our, 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 James has not changed up his story with any of it. It is, an, it is a show and tell. It is not just going to be an opportunity for you and I to talk about things. 
Our actions have to back up what we speak about. James is, is writing about wisdom in a way that I don't think many of us think about. Many of us think that wisdom is, well, I'm Miyagi, or I'm Yoda, or I'm Gandalf, or I'm not those things. And I, don't, I can't give anybody any words of advice. James is actually going to, to, to focus in that what we know comes out in what we do. Wisdom is not about all the information that we have in our head. Wisdom is how we live out what we know. The last several weeks, we've looked at James's letter to a church that has been spread out. If you read the very first words in the book of James, it tells us this is to a dispersed people, a people spread out who weren't, are not gathering in the same way they used to. So in a, in a realistic way, this is very practical to us today. In our homes, not being able to gather, James writing this letter to a people who are spread out right now. And he speaks about trials and, t- and temptations and being people who do God's word, not just listen to it controlling their tongues, the power of their tongue, how they express love in, the, in where they are at. And this week, James opens with, brothers and sisters, if you think, verse 13, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. To be very clear, Jewish believers understood that wisdom mattered. From a very young age, if they were to read through the book of Proverbs, the letters, the, the words of Solomon, they would hear all about wisdom. Proverbs chapter four says this, getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. Some of your translations simply say, get wisdom. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. It's great, those are great things. And, and the natural second question would be, well, where, how do I do that? Where does that come from? How do I get those things? Well, Proverbs continues. Proverbs 9. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. So how do I get wisdom? Well, you start building and the foundation is on the Lord. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. If you're one who is lacking good judgment, it's not just because, oh, I'm just, I'm just that way. No, there's a good chance you have not considered God and his ways. And when we read that word, fear of the Lord, we obviously know we live in a very sarcastic and cynical generation. When I hear people say, well, fear of, why would I want to fear God? God loves me. Well, that doesn't make any sense that you Christians would want to fear the Lord. Now, while there is an, an element to awe and trembling, I mean, if you read through the Old Testament, in, in the New Testament, when the power of the Lord shows up, whether it be in an angel or his presence or, or, or whatever it is, people fall to the ground. Because when you are around who God is and all that he is, you, you can't help but just be like, whoa, he's huge. But the natural response to fear is to run from something that we are to be afraid of. But that's not what we see in Scripture. Proverbs 14 says this, those who fear the Lord are secure. He will be a refuge for their children. Fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. It offers escape from the snares of death. My, um, my youngest son, whenever we would go into new places, he would always express this verse physically as we would walk in and he would walk in very shy behind my leg. He would grab a hold of the back of my leg and just hold on 
And then he would check out the room from behind me. And then when things uh, were getting a little more lax and he would be a little more free, he would kind of run out from behind. But then if a, if a person tried to talk to him or something like that, he would run right back around and grab the back of my leg. My son was not expressing fear of everybody else in that room. My son was expressing fear of me, meaning I'm the biggest, baddest person in that room. Don't come mess with me because I have my dad. I can run to my dad. And ultimately what Malachi would be suggesting is he would fear being anywhere else but with me. So when, when the Bible speaks of fear, it's not speaking of simply just cowering and trembling, but the invitation is to know that there is nothing bigger or greater or grander than being in the presence of God and his people find refuge in that. They find safety in that. The fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. Wisdom begins when you and I understand that we are not God and that he is I run to this God who is bigger than me. You run to this God who is bigger than you. It's the foundation. And if that foundation is not there, then nothing can be built. This is why James says that we will do good works with humility that comes from wisdom. Humility is a result of standing in awe of God. It is really tough to look at the cross of Christ, to know the lengths that God went to, to provide us with life by sending his son, by, by him putting on flesh, walking among us, touching and healing and being with friends of, being known as a friend of sinners, being in the presence of people with leprosy and demonic possession and people who were starving and he himself went close to them. And then they crucified him on the cross. He rose from the dead. It's really tough to look at that and remain arrogant. It's really hard to stand up from a moment where you have seen the power of God on display on the cross and stand up proud and banging on your chest. James gives the first characteristic that will prove whether or not you truly are wise and it's humility. Have you seen the right order of things God is God and I am not. But thankfully, James keeps going and he helps us see clearly that there is a wisdom that likes to walk around and talk a big game in the church and outside the church that is not reflective of God. It is a false kind of wisdom. It is not from God. Verse 14 says this, but if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual and demonic for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder of and evil of every kind. Many of you probably have John three sixteen memorized. I would encourage you to a quick memorization of James three sixteen. James points to yet again, inward thoughts being evidenced on the outside. But this time the outward evidence that he describes points to something broken on the inside. Bitter jealousness, jealousy. This is this idea of this resentful or this wicked desire for somebody's possessions, their abilities or their status. And in the church, this is possible. 
outside the church, this is possible. And James is saying, if bitter jealousy is driving you, then something is wrong on the inside. He doesn't just say bitter jealousy. He actually brings up selfish ambition. And this one is problematic because it can be disguised. Inner desire for self-promotion. Like why I'm doing things, my motives for selfish ambition of uh, self-concern over, over community concern or God concern. The biggest problem with self, selfish ambition is that I am planning things with no regard for who God is or the needs of others around me. The visual image that comes with selfish ambition is you are out canvassing for votes. Can I count on your vote for me? These are the things that come from selfish ambition. And James begins with, with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. If these two internally are driving us, the wisdom we are living by is not godly wisdom. These both begin in our hearts, and I love James's solution to this. James says, if this is you, if you are a person who's walking with these internal things coming out, don't lie about it and don't cover it up by boasting. Like, I think that's what we'll try and do. We'll be like, well, we'll cover it up as best as we can. No, 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 I really do have good, good motives. No, no, no. Or we boast about it and we just go, that's me. That's who I am. I'm hyper-competitive. I'm this way. This is the way I act. James says, don't boast about it. Don't lie about it. Repent. Change the way you're thinking about who God is and who you are because of who God is. That's the simple confession and repentance formula. It's easy for us to walk with these things, to lie with these things, to boast about these things, but James is saying, don't. If this is what's driving you, repent, confess, return to God. Because he continues in verse 15, he says, these things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. These are three words that grow progressively stronger in their nature. The first meaning earthly, the first word earthly, and I've got some, some little simple uh, ways to define what earthly would mean. And we're not just talking about knowledge. Yes, I can look around at things on earth and I can learn a whole lot of things. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about knowledge. Remember, we're talking about the way we conduct our lives because of what we know. And earthly wisdom is a narrow perspective that doesn't care about God's reign or God's will. Earthly means just that, self-centered thoughts of the here and now. Where I am right now determines everything I do. I have no concern for what's next, but right now I'm gonna get mine. Just before there was the, uh, the school shut down for the weeks at a time, um, we learned here at Elevate and Highland that we were probably going to need to make sure we had, you know, uh, antibacterial wipes and all the different stuff stocked up so we could make, take the extra measurement precautions to make sure this place was, was where it needed to be. And so um, I was at Sam's one morning and I happened to be there when they had just dropped off the five packs of the, the wipes that you can buy. And they said there was a limit. You could only buy three at a time and of those packages. And so I was like, I'll take them up on that because we've got a church and we've got a school and we've got, you know, 250 children in this place. I mean, like, we got to make sure we're stocked up as best as we can, not knowing what was coming ahead. So I'm pushing the cart out of the Sam's Club and um, the woman who has that little gun scanner, you know, she's scanning and she looks at me and she goes, you do know 
that those are for service people, like they serve others with those clothes. These are not just for, for, for you, young man. And I said, first of all, thank you for calling me young. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't actually say that. I was shocked first that she had to say that. But I said to her, ma'am, these are not just for me, a pastor of church. Uh, there's a school that meets down at our building and there's a lot of kids in and out. And she was like, oh, oh, okay, okay. I have just been so disappointed at how selfish people have been. This is earthly wisdom. Get mine, take care of me, stock up with no regard or concern for what God's plans or the needs around you are. This is earthly wisdom. But James doesn't stop with earthly. He continues and he says that false wisdom is the unspiritual wisdom. And this is, this is a hard one for us to navigate because ultimately it's where human feeling and human reason reign supreme. Unspiritual wisdom has everything to do with what comes natural to us. It comes easy. It's our physical nature apart from God's rescue and restoration by his Holy Spirit. Unspiritual wisdom is bent towards our own pleasure. We get this word unspiritual from the Greek word that means soul or inner life of a person or, hear me out, from the heart. We use this phrase all the time. We'll just follow your heart. And when we tell someone to follow their heart, there is no telling how self-centered this action could actually be. This is why James gives this warning that unspiritual wisdom that comes naturally to us is not wisdom from God. The first characteristic that James laid out was humility. And neither of these, earthly or unspiritual wisdom, point to this end. As James moves down the list, he progressively grows in their strength and he concludes with demonic. Now this word demonic can either mean from its nature, how it acts, like, like the results of that wisdom, but it can also mean where it comes from, the origin of this kind of wisdom being demonic. And even in non-religious circles, it's understood that demonic activity would be the opposite of that, that is all that is godly, holy, and pure. Do you remember the, the temptation in the garden? Do you remember what the enemy's tactic was when he tempted Eve? He said, oh, did God really say? And he brought God's words into question. You can't have any of the fruit. And Eve was like, no, I can have some, but it's this one place and I can't. And if we touch it or, you know, we'll surely die. But listen to the words in Genesis 3. The enemy says, you, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted what? The wisdom it would give her. None of these are anchored in humility, but they stem from pride. When we hear that word demonic, we do one of two things. We either run to this very, very dark place because of all the movies that we've seen, or we run to a place where we don't care about it really at all. And the problem with that is when we consider demonic wisdom and we think that it's no big deal or that it's way too dark, we actually miss that de demonic wisdom simply says, 
you can be like God, you don't need God. You can be like him. You can do what he does. And if you can do that, you just don't need him. The enemy's plan has been for, he, for you and I to do life without God for our entire lives. And I know for some of us, we're always thinking, well, it's this darkness or it's not that big of a deal. Truly, his aim, the enemy's aim, is to remove us from all the blessing that comes from walking in relationship to God. And this is why jealousy and selfish ambition are so real in, in demonic, uh, world, uh, earthly, and unspiritual wisdom. And that not only this, but chaos, disorder, and evil of every kind come out of this. James 3.16, I'll read it again. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Historians Will and Ariel Durant declared that a man of man's reported 3,400 years of written history. So together, collectively, we have about 3,400 years, 3,400 years of recorded written down history. There has been war in every one of those years, except for 168 of those years. The armistice, the peace treaty that was signed between allied nations and Germany, ending the fighting in World War I, was signed November 11th, 1918. And since then, for every year of war, there have been two minutes of peace. Why could this be? We claim to be such naturally compassionate people. Like if we would just chill out and stop fighting for a minute, we could pave our way to peace. Worldly wisdom, human arrogance, and pride. As long as we continue to depend on earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom, the corresponding results will remain the same. Jealousy, envy, selfish ambition, along with every other kind of evil. The results are tied to the source. And to our dying day, what pride says is, I can actually change the results, but keep the same broken source. James doesn't allow us to look at things this way. But like the worldly wisdom brings about dead fruit, God's wisdom produces an external result that we are desperately in need of in this day. God's wisdom will not lead us to banging on our chests and promoting ourselves but it will lead us to a place of serving others because we have first been served. If worldly wisdom results in self-glorification and personal gain, then godly wisdom results in selflessness and care for others. The results are tied to the source. Verse 17, James continues, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. James is going to address the inward motivation. Is it wholly motivated? Is it single-minded? Is it mixed with anything? Because it shouldn't be because of the wisdom from above is first pure. And then for the next six, he really looks at the external evidence. He says that wisdom from above is also peace-loving. Not loving conflict and rivalry, but truly going, I love peace. And it doesn't mean that I'm doing peace if I, I love peace for the, just the sake of peace, but truly to go where there is conflict, I want to see it brought to an end. And where there is lack, I want to see wholeness brought. 
So to be a peace-loving person doesn't mean you just kind of be quiet so that nothing happens. It truly is, I will work towards peace. I love peace. And then he continues to go on and says, gentle at all times. That means moderation without compromise. It means that I don't get too angry and I'm not too lackadaisical. It's moderation. It's like this gentleness and not looking to stir up fights, not looking to stir up dissension. Willing to yield to others, simply meaning easy to live with. Not hard and stubborn, but can hear all sides. It's full of mercy, willing to treat people in the way that we have been treated. We have not deserved God's mercy, but he has poured it out on us. People who are full of mercy can treat people who don't deserve to be treated with mercy, with mercy because of Christ's love for us. And the fruit of good deeds, this is practical. It just flows out of your life. Like I care about working and and aiding and blessing others. And it shows no favoritism. Joel so well put when when he preached on James about favoritism and the Christian basically saying, look, favoritism is is when you're not receiving the face of everyone. You have a certain group of people that you like to receive, but you won't receive another group. Favoritism is not a place, has no place in the Christ follower's life. It shows no favoritism and can receive the face of all. And it is always sincere. This is an inward gut check. Sincere meaning, are you playing it up to the crowds? Or is it truly from a place of love for God that you would serve and care for and lead and teach and be among others? Sincerity being another internal gauge. And he says the results of these things is those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. This is a legacy of peace left in our own lives and in the lives of others. James finishes with the mark of a child of God. James, his half-brother, so famously put in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Just like my children reflect my attributes and my characteristics, so the children of God will reflect our Father in heaven. Every one of James's external results is directly connected to where our trust lies. Are we walking with worldly wisdom and reflecting those things, or are we reflecting wisdom that comes from above? At the heart of godly wisdom, you and I find, surprise, surprise, Jesus. This morning, not your poor attitudes needing adjusting, not your boasting needing to be dealt with, not your covering things up, but the scripture lets us know that the greatest wisdom of all is Jesus. Not just an action, not just action steps for us, but it is not just knowledge or, or, or a thought. It is a person. In Colossians chapter 2, he's writing to a group of people who are being swayed and influenced by outside groups. He says these things. He says, I want them, the church, to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. Well-crafted arguments might look like in the church. How do we know someone's truly wise among the believers? By what others say about them? 
by their Twitter followers, by their social media presence, by their degrees, by their star-studded cast of friends that they post about on Instagram and Facebook, the world might suggest that they appear wise. The world loves that. But at the end of the day, if it does not look like Jesus, it's not wisdom for us. The Greeks and the Jews both were communities that loved wisdom. Unfortunately, it was a wisdom centered on man. But God has done something in Christ that has confounded and confused both groups. Paul so powerfully puts in his letter to the Corinthian church this way. 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 21. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jew and Gentile, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Paul points out that the, the message of the cross, that God would come and step into time, put on flesh and die for his people, not to stay dead, but to raise from the dead. The message of the gospel is foolishness to those who think worldly and earthly and unspiritual wisdom is king. It doesn't make sense. But to those who are being saved, we understand it is the very power of God. Paul continues in verse 27. He says, Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. Where the world's wisdom speaks, you can free yourself. God's wisdom speaks, I have come to set you free. One is anchored in pride, one is anchored in humility. One comes from within and one comes from outside. This is the power of the gospel that you and I could not set ourselves free even by our wisest schemes. But God saw us in all of our attempts, came close, and he is wisdom for us. All those things that James describes, peace-loving, gentle, full of mercy, the fruit of good deeds, uh, sincere, pure, all of those things, you start to get a picture of Jesus, right? It's not just about the fruit that will come out of our lives, but it is a descriptor of the one who has saved ours. As the band comes and we finish our time together this morning, I want you to know that if you've put your anchor down in human wisdom, in earthly wisdom, in unspiritual wisdom, in demonic wisdom, there is a rescue. There is a plan. There is hope. James lays out one of the clearest ways home from our worldly thinking and our worldly boasting. And it is not to try harder. 
It's actually the, the way of repentance is to allow God to change your thoughts about who he is and about who you are because of the power of the scripture, because of the power of the word of God, what Jesus has done. This morning, do not be drawn into boasting or lying to cover up all those worldly wisdom results. Turn, confess, repent. Let this be a season when your eyes are fixed on Christ. Let this be a time when you renew that reliance on what Jesus has done, that Jesus is wisdom on our behalf because we are not wise. We've tried to do it on our own, but God said, look, through human wisdom, they'll never find me. I will go to them. On their own, they won't find me. I found them. Christ is wisdom itself for us. As, you, as your time in, in, in isolation or in social distancing or in this strange season of, of history, do not believe that for a minute we can function as the church with worldly wisdom. Godly wisdom was given to us in this gift of Christ for such a time as this, to be people who, who not only say we love God, but that that love comes out in our lives. I think it's, it's gravely important for us to continue to look to Jesus as our wisdom when we are all, it seems like we're all trying to discern new patterns, new ways of living, doing things, helping, finances, job, everything. Now is not the time to believe that I can start leaning on myself. Because if I do, the results are tied. But if we as the church continue to lean on wisdom from above, on godly wisdom, on Christ himself, the results are tied to that as well. And that will be much different than if we were to lean on our own understanding. Highland, Christ is wisdom itself for us. Turn, don't cover it up, don't lie about it. Confess, repent, and return. Jesus, we love you. And I ask that in these moments that we would not believe that somehow we can, we can find a way to make it better on our own, but truly we have to run to Mount Calvary. We have to run to the foot of the cross. Lord, I pray that for those that have never believed that Jesus, you are the son of God, that you are the one who died and raised from the dead, not to stay dead, but to purchase new life for those who would believe. I pray that there would be those through this moment in history would turn and hand their lives to you and say, Jesus, please, you have to do it. I cannot do this anymore. Lord, let us truly be a people who display a godly wisdom that is humble and serves others. It's in your name we pray.